0: On this episode of AV Insights, we take a look at the corporate side of the AV industry, the impact that COVID 19 has had on it in 2020, and where it's headed in the next year. All that and more. Next on AV Insights
1: The network for the AV industry. What
0: are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Insights, episode three, Corporate AV. This is AV Insights, a look at the market data and the verticals that are within the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright, I'm your host. As we do usually, uh, we'll take a look at one specific vertical. This time we're looking at corporate. And with me to talk about the hospitality uh, industry is first and foremost, uh, our our resident um, uh, numbers uh, person from Avix, uh, Mr. Sean Wargo. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. Absolutely, and also with us, uh, Kay Sargent. You've heard Kay on our, our our architect program, but also, if you've been to any a number of of AVIX's, uh education and, and uh, other uh, webinars, uh, you've seen her before. So, welcome, Kay.
2: Thank you for having
1: me.
0: Absolutely, and from WeWork, uh, Mr. Nick Neighbour. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, uh, Sean, we'll start with you. Just kind of like we always do on this on this program, um, we're looking at kind of the 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 corporate market and, and also, you know, kind of, you know um, where we're headed with, with, you know, some of these areas Um, right now we're looking at specifically uh, kind of before um, the COVID where it was heading for about 55, 60 million, billion, sorry, billion dollars in 2019. It is hitting down though, right. For, for 2020 not a surprise to anybody. Um, where are we going to head from here? And where, where are some of the areas that you're looking at as the areas of growth for the corporate market coming out of COVID?
3: Sure. Definitely. It's hard to talk about
0: anything pro AV
3: these days without saying that 2020 is, is a challenging year. I think we yeah. we're all aware of that. Uh, macroeconomically, recessions, GDP declines, all those sorts of normal things uh, corporate uh, impacts are just like the others. Though, the great thing about corporate, largest market certainly that ProAV serves, um, even though we kind of loosely define that as say office, say office environments, headquarters, etc. Um, it has been a bellwether and will continue to be a bellwether for us. Five percent declines this year, but then right after 2021, we start to bounce back. I think the things that have really helped this marketplace perhaps weather the storm but, uh, better than others. Uh, certainly, collaboration, conference and collaboration types of solutions, like we're we're using uh, today, to be able to still interact with each other, doubling down of investments, kind of uh, the interest in scaling that out, and um, integrator installers kind of coming along with that to either say support support this remote user, um, in some cases go in and retool office spaces that we hopefully will get back to at some point to allow us to uh, work with perhaps more remote uh, employees even once we do return but another area that's perhaps less known or talked about from a corporate side would be even things like we call it we call the solutionary content distribution but think of that as just the way in which corporate enterprises are still trying to interact with their audiences, their customers, their user base and so investing in ways of becoming almost like broadcasters uh, capturing content and distributing it out. So those types of things are really helping this market stay more viable in this environment um, for ProAV as a whole, even if, and one of the things I hope to talk about today is how much of that opportunity is with us as an industry or kind of in, in related and, and adjacent industries like IT, uh, cetera. those are big conversations of the day.
0: Real quickly before we get to, to, to uh, our two guests, when you say bellwether, what do you mean by that?
3: Yeah, so I think it's that area that seems to withstand a lot of the other um, threat, threats or recessionary challenges. So a more stable point for us. Largest industry, less oscillation in terms of total size, you know, a variation from year to year. So you could say, as an example of that, you know, 5% growth for uh, corporate as a vertical market for us going forward, or as a market for a pro-AV, you know, that's – some might argue, gosh, that seems – a light but there's so much going on beneath that that allows us to kind of stay engaged whether it's reaching remote audiences and facilitating remote collaboration or reimagining office space there's there's a ton of offsetting opportunity another example is there's the question of how much of of pro-avian corporate is new construction versus remodeling refurbishing of existing space, and those kind of offset each other too. New construction, clearly, obviously down right now, um, but we may be going through a time where refurb and and reimagine becomes more important in existing office space. So that's kind of what
2: I'm going to put money on that one, Sean. <laughs>
3: that's, <laughs> good that's, that,
2: that's where the smart money is these days. You know, I, I think this is actually really interesting. You know, to, you know, sorry, sorry, I'm going to be the the gadfly from the outside on this one, Tim. Um, Look, a lot of our clients early on in this process took everything from their travel budgets and put it into their A-V-I-T budgets, you know, so anything and everything that the A-V-I-T industry is going through, and I know there's a lot of, you know, events that have had to go differently and and, uh, construction is down, et cetera, but as an industry that has probably benefited from this, you guys are as close as it comes because you know other others have just been tanked i mean you think about the restaurant industry you think about the travel industry et cetera. this is actually avit is something that people are putting their money into and for the foreseeable future uh foresee that continuing
0: interesting why why is that Kay? because when we look at some of the i mean we, we you know sean mentioned the fact that that we're going to be down five you know five six percent this year um when we I start a
2: construction Right? Exactly.
0: Like okay. So the new construction, but the refurb so is where weirdly- right.
2: so you're down because people are in the office and a lot of construction projects have halted, stalled or stopped. However, um, you know, there are a ton of companies that, you know, are creating, you know, handing out laptops, sending people onto new platforms, training them onto new platforms. And when we go back, there's going to be a real challenge to think about how do we keep people connected and technology i think is is a very viable option and alternative to do that today and one of the main things so i, I think that it's shifting from one bucket to another versus just dissipating like it's done in other sectors
0: yeah which and to your point kate it could have been worse right obviously because you, you mentioned the, the restaurant industry as as well as other industries like travel it could have been much worse if it it hadn't been for, you know, kind of the offset for that.
1: Right. Um, I think there's, there's something to be said too, for the fact that AV IT industries, you know, even before COVID, were were pushing towards the idea of more remote collaboration and more remote connections between sites anyway. So uh, it may just be that we sort of got lucky. We were pushing in a future minded direction before this crisis hit anyway, uh, which put us in a better position to react to it than I think other hospitality industries that rely on, density, right? Uh, our, our our entire context up until this pandemic was, you don't need to be in one place, we can extend you physically to other places through technology.
2: Well, Nick, think about this, what would have happened if this pandemic would have hit 10 years ago? We would not have fared the way not, that we're faring now. Not at I all. Think not even five years ago, we would, have, we would have
1: really struggled. I agree. And it's not only, I mean, yeah, 100%. I agree with that completely. And like, you know, business aside, I think on a personal level, the fact that we have things like Netflix and Zoom and the internet and all sorts of remote technology applications to keep people sane during lockdowns and quarantines, I can't imagine what this would have been like when I was growing up, right? I mean, with, with just the telephone and the radio and the TV. So it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible that it happened at this time and that technology was as ready as it, as it was. Mm-hmm.
0: I would slightly disagree with you, Nick. Um, I still had a Nintendo, uh, so I would I would have been fine. Just want to point that out there, me and Tech Mobile. Um, so, Kay, I want to start with you on this, and then we'll bring bring Nick and Sean on this. You you both mentioned the the the, the fact that we were set up for this, right? We were we were geared for remote work, um, collaboration, wireless collaboration, distance collaboration is it going to stay this way is are are we the folks that are home right now working from home are they going to stay there a hundred percent and 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 you know is this work from home thing going to be going to be most more permanent um or is it going to be this is temporary you know and and some folks will certainly go back to the office
2: so uh (laughs) Look, I, I find it interesting that we actually have been working remotely and working from home for 30 years. And, you know, I mean, I, I spend most of my time working in an airport, you know, so I find it really interesting that there actually were several people that weren't set up to work remotely. And I find that almost shocking, you know, people that have never been on Zoom calls before, never had to work remotely. But there are a lot of people that are, that fall into that category. But um, I, I'm a proponent of giving people options and choices and allowing them to decide what works best for them. However, every study that we've ever shown or done has basically said that the sweet spot is one to two days a week working remotely, but then, you know, being together. It's the people that always work remotely or never work remotely that are the least engaged and the least happy. And I think right now there are a lot of companies that are overestimating the success of remote working just because we survived the last six months doesn't mean that, we were thriving. And yes, I think people realize that you can be productive, but people were worried. They were afraid of losing their jobs. They were running on adrenaline. They were running on borrowed relationships. And we're about, we've hit the cliff and there are already some companies that are starting to realize we're taking a dip in productivity now, or people are going nuts, or they just, you know, their mental health or their well-being is starting to be impacted. And so it is, it's not an, either or, it's not a binary choice. We really see that there is an emerging ecosystem of work where you might be able to work from home a few days, you might work from what we're gonna call the hub, because we're gonna get rid of the term office and never use that again. And you might work one or two days a week from a spoke, which might be a WeWork or a Starbucks or a company owned uh, facility outside of the downtown area, but you just, you know, some people just can't work from
1: home or don't want to. No. So I think, you, I think you touched on something that I think is really interesting and, and often kind of overlooked about this situation is, as you said, right, a lot of us were set up for remote work before the pandemic. It was certainly part of my daily ritual. I mean, I, I, I have been overseeing teams and projects that were in China. Even if I wanted to be there every day, I simply couldn't. So for some of us, remote collaboration was already part of our context. What I think there's a real danger of right now is judging the idea of remote collaboration based on the last six months, which has not been remote collaboration. The last six months has been everyone is at home. There hasn't been an option. There hasn't been a difference in, in work context. People who don't respond well to it, people who weren't set up right for it, and people who didn't get uh, you know adequate support from their teams or their companies were forced into the same lane as people like Kay and I, who adapted very well to it, who were, you know, sort of mentally prepared for it. So there's a real danger in my mind of judging what we've all been through as representative of remote work when, you know, really it's an extraordinary situation.
2: Well and Nick, let me let me just tag on to that because You know, there's a flip side of this too. You and I have probably both been the person that is the voice coming from the box at the end of the table that everybody else forgot was even on the call and all the conversations going on in the room we missed. And, you know, I I swear that there's code like when, when you're calling in, like if somebody says, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. The phone broke up. Could you repeat that? Basically is code for, I was multitasking and not really listening to you, but I heard my name. So now I'm paying attention. Right. Yep. You know, and I, and I think this is the first time we have all been on equal footing, but this is not going to continue. And we've already had some clients who have said the, you know, sometimes a hybrid is the worst of both. And I was on a call the other day with a bunch of people in South Africa and they had to socially distance. They were six feet away from the mic. You could barely see their faces. You could barely hear them. And it was horrible. And it just reminded me of how bad this was seven or eight months ago. And we have to ensure that we don't go back to some of the things that weren't working before.
1: I totally agree. I think um, the the interesting parallel for me was in entertainment, right? Because I think in a lot of cases people just sort of thought, "This is no big deal. It's just Skype on my laptop or whatever. I'll, I'm I'm going to ace this." And that that wasn't just in a professional setting. That was lots of entertainers who were like, "Well, now I'm quarantined at home. I'm just going to live stream my comedy sets or my or my DJ sets for the next couple of nights." And on one hand, you have somebody like Questlove, right, who absolutely killed it, like no questions asked, had top-notch production values, content planned out thematically appropriate, really put a lot of effort into it. And then you had people that weren't that prepared. And it is super, super obvious in the difference between someone who put some thought into it and planned for it, and somebody who just thought, "Ah, I'm just gonna wing it and we'll see what happens. Um, I I don't wanna lose a thread that you brought up already, Kay, which is the idea that um, this is is a new normal, right? I kind of hate that phrase, but I think it's accurate. No, wait, wait, Um, let me
2: give you a new term. It's not okay. the new normal, there is nothing normal about this. It's the new now. And tomorrow that's, will be another new now, right? We are living in the now. And so it's the new now.
1: That's infinitely better. I think that, that normalizes the fact that things are constantly changing as opposed to just saying, well, this is normal now. Um, but I think, you know, to the point at hand, something you touched on already is the idea that um, office space or hub and spoke space or collaboration hub space uh, it's not going to go away. I mean, look, I'm I'm a parent. I think you've seen my kids bouncing around behind you right now. My 600 square foot Brooklyn apartment is now both my office, my home and a remote school for two kids. So when it comes right down to it, as productive as I know I can be working remotely, there is a point where it just doesn't work anymore. And I'm not alone in that. People are always going to want an external place where they can go to get away from the home context and, and collaborate, whether that means focus work, you know, a, a quiet room where you can go and really bang out your projects, or if it means collaborative work, somewhere that you know your teammates are going to be there, the technology is there to, to meet you and to make it more productive than you can be at home. So um, that is definitely not going away. Has it changed? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's, uh, it's too soon to judge uh, whether these changes are permanent or what might actually change again before we settle into something that really works well.
2: Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to judge. I'm gonna say that we have short <laughs> memories, right? So remember after September 11th, nobody will ever be in downtown Manhattan. Nobody will ever be in a high rise again. Two years. That's a great point. Right? We we are social animals. We like coming together. We have short memories. Look what's already happening in China and different parts of the world. Look look at, I mean, look what happened in the Ozarks July 4th, you know? I mean, it. you know, we, we're we gonna come back together.
1: That's a great point, yeah. I think
3: so what, one to of what the degree,
2: things- I think, is the question.
3: Love this animated group. Uh, One of the, just to chime in on one point there, you know, one of the things that we talk about in terms of uh, exceptional experience for, for AV is it's that marriage between the content, the space and the technology, right? So exactly as Nick is saying, we can't pretend that spatially we're optimized in our homes, you know, as you described, Nick, you know, my, we've got uh, now need for an office space, a broadcast room. Uh, my wife teaches yoga from the home. So needs a space that's kind of lit well and, and framed well for that. It's to pretend that the house, our house was set up for this before is certainly missing the point. So if we look forward as to, and this cuts across so many industries, you know, whether it's cinema, will the movie theaters come back? Well, yeah, movie theater is still a better experience than even though I have a nice home theater set up, it's still a better. So that marriage between those three things, I think is what we still talk about for AV. One of the questions that flows from that for me is how then does the office space of the future, the collaborative spaces, we work, et cetera, how, how does that change? What do we think that looks like? Cause certainly integrators are trying to get, I jump on that and be able to start advising and consulting around spatial redesign. Yes, yeah, that- so
2: we, spent, we spent a lot of time thinking about this and, yeah. and I, and I'm going to say something that, you know, look, a lot of the stuff I'm saying is not new. We've been talking about this forever. It's just COVID is the catalyst that has put the fuel to the fire that has made people stand up and listen and maybe given them the incentive to do something. I would say it's all about purpose of place. What is compelling enough about a work environment uh, a hub or a spoke that is going to make me leave my house and go there and right now the offices try to be everything to everyone and we really see the hub as being kind of the gathering space the the Heart, the soul, the best technology. It actually might be more expensive to build that out than it is to build out your traditional office space, but you're going to have less of it. It's going to be different types of spaces, you know, and it's going to be complemented with the ability to work from home and/or a spoke. And the spoke might be all about casual, bring your dog, connect with your colleagues, you know, but get away from your kids, get away from the TV, maybe better technology, but it doesn't have to be the tricked out, pimped out technology you might have at the hub, right? And and we have to create environments that are enticing enough and clearly define what is the purpose for me being here so that um there's a difference and then you want to be in these different things you want the choice if they're all the same and they're not offering me anything better why would i go
1: i agree i think um I, I think flexibility is the word that we that we use a lot at WeWork when we talk about office space that we're going to provide going forward. And uh, hub and spoke again is another model that we're we're looking very closely at and we're adopting. And for me, the the idea of flexibility has changed a little bit, but flexibility is still very important. In a in a previous pre COVID world, right. Uh, flexibility in the office space sort of meant like, hey, this space is a lounge, but also it's an event space. And also later on, it can be your happy hour space. And as, as you said, Kay, it's like everything to everybody with a little bit of reconfiguration. Flexibility going forward, uh, I, I don't think it means that. I think it means the spaces themselves, as you said, are more intentional and more purpose built for certain tasks. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, as you said, uh, you said it, not me. Uh, a lot of those spaces are going to be more expensive to build out than they might have been in the past because we have to make sure <laughs> we have to make sure that the intent behind the space is well captured, right? And and value engineering is something that happens in AVIT, you know, inevitably all the time. Right. Um, so let
2: me let me let me challenge a notion though, right? Because everybody keeps talking about flexible, 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 flexible when we design spaces how many times do they really reconfigure them dyadic spaces multi-purpose spaces that can morph or change easily i thousand percent agree with that but but we're missing a really fundamental basic point we are not potted plants the most flexible thing in any environment is the person yet we design offices so that you sit in one place one day like a rock and the fundamental shift that we need to make is yes we need to embed flexibility flexibility of the individual to choose where they want to work not only in the office but in the community and the extended parameters you know so I'm flexible enough that I can work from home one day or I can go to the hub or I can go to the spoke that's where flexibility really becomes important because to try to build everything in the workplace to be totally morphed and flexible a it's not really very realistic b Not many companies really do it. And so we just need to think differently. We've been trying to make the wrong thing flexible.
1: I feel like you thought you were challenging me and you actually just said everything that I was going to say anyway. I I couldn't agree more. I think the space itself, we've been tricking ourselves into saying the space is more flexible, but you already touched on it, right? The space as designed and as built was usually this is everyone to everybody. Come here early in the morning and you have breakfast and then you have workspace and you have conferencing space and you have a game table and you have playrooms and you have everything you need to stay in this one space, as many hours per day, as many days per week per month as possible. And that's just not going to work anymore. And I think that flexibility for the person and for the company that the people belong to is so much more crucial. As you said, I, you know, just to take it from a WeWork perspective, right? we have this network of spaces across New York City, but up until March of this year, I always went to one of them. It was always my office right but I haven't been doing that since we've been doing return to office uh, procedures for WeWork internally I go to the offices that are closer to me I occasionally go to HQ if I need to meet with certain people or do a certain task I can only do there but generally speaking my flexibility is I will meet you at the WeWork closest to my house or I will go to the WeWork that is in Brooklyn nearer to me instead of the HQ in Manhattan because it's an easier commute or I'll take some meetings from home because I need to be able to focus and not wear pants today. And therefore the, you know, the flexibility is more about individual choices than it is about the space itself. I completely, well,
2: Nick, hopefully you wear pants every day, but uh, you know, I'm going to say that access is the new ownership. And I think it's a fundamental concept that we're trying to make our clients understand. I don't have to own a car. I just need access to a vehicle that would get me from one place to another. I don't have to own Uh, Meeting spaces, I'd rather have somebody else provide those for me and have the best technology. Why do I want to own technology? Why do I want to own furniture? I would rather have a membership model for all of those things and have somebody else come in, manage it, oversee it, make it the best it can be, and it's not my problem. And then when I need to sub something out, I can flip it because, you know, one of the challenges in technology and furniture is they last so long that they, they outlive their usefulness. And so then how do I get rid of this on the back end? And people are afraid to invest in things because they know it's like, well, how, I don't want to spend $100,000 for a system that you're going to make, make obsolete next year. But if Some I had cost a model, right, where I could have access to it and it could be updated or refreshed, I'd probably be willing to spend more money for that and have a better experience. And I think we just need to start thinking about things differently.
1: Completely agreed.
0: Let's bring in a couple of things that you guys have t- touched on because you you two are, are, are fantastic. Um, one thing I want to hit on, uh, Kay, and you're the other one that brought it up, and, and that is in, in this new, the new now, to, to use your phrasing, um, as we come out of this, there will still be some parameters, and again, depending on, on where you are in the world, depending on where you are in the country, those will change. But let's take the, the standard, you know, six foot social distancing part. And you mentioned something very important here from a technology standpoint. Uh, you, you were on a call with, with some folks from South Africa. They were socially distancing. They were six feet away. They were also six feet away from the technology. <laughs> that experience can't have been good, right? So, uh, Sean, I'm going to start with you, but I'll bring the, you, know, you and uh, Kay and, and, and Nick back in. As the AV folks, as AV technologists, as IT technologists, what is it that we need to change about our, our approach to both design and install as we face this new now? Because as Kay mentioned, folks are going to be farther away. There is a certain limitation just from basic physics about certain, you know, uh, technology. So how do we, you know not only re-educate the integrators, but also have them re-educate their, their customers.
3: Yeah, it's, I think what we're talking about today is is several, several key themes in this. And, and one is obviously adaptability of a solution provider to be able to account for new guidelines, new parameters, But I think underneath that is what I love is this concept of um, say fluidity. We've talked about this on a couple other calls recently that I've been on around collaboration, you know, fluid workspace, fluid workforce, who is, you know, different people in the space each day, um, different requirements, just different user requirements, the fact that they have to be a certain distance. So different right microphone technology needs to be deployed for that. And, you know, but there's also the lighting issues that we're talking about and, Almost everything has to be a good camera angle now, uh, wherever you are with the right backdrop. So there's uh, tons of considerations there. So it's going to take a while for the marketplace, the providers to start learning about and adapting to those new requirements as they go forward. But what I love about what we're saying is all of that is an enhanced and exponential opportunity, right? So I just put out a forecast of 5% growth for, for corporate what i'm hearing on this and many other calls is that's really conservative because if we look at pandemic as an accelerator of trend an amplifier of things we are more likely heading into a massive phase of innovation and reimagining that as we're talking about today leads to more investment more opportunity for the provider channel to help deal with these new requirements and to allow us to reimagine space so to me, that's a challenge to uh, us as an industry. How are we going to stand up? How are we going to evolve and adapt to that, to harvest and harness that opportunity as we go forward?
2: Which gives me heart palpitations, what you just said, right? Because anytime we go through this whole period of innovation, you know, it, it, there's a thousand new products on the market and, it, and none of them are tested. And It's like, what works, what doesn't? What am I going to sink my money into you know do you, do you really want to be the early adopter that you know buys VHS or, or beta versus VHS or you know one versus the other? I mean I think that's one of the things that we're worried about, and we've already seen that we've already seen people rushing to solutions early on that have already panned out to be not necessarily in the AV world but you know you know temperature scanners or six foot distancing and Tim I'm going to argue if you think six feet is going to keep you or a little two foot plastic shield. Like, you know, I'm a designer and I'm gonna tell you if that's the workplace you have to return to, stay home. Right, I, I mean, we, we need to be smart. And a lot of these things are, are giving us a false sense of security and or are not gonna be as effective. And, and I could give you 20 things that were said early on in this pandemic that have panned out not to be true or there was a side effect. And so we're, airing, we're telling our clients, take a breath, right? Take a breath. Think about all the things that weren't working, not just now, but there were things that weren't working before. Think about all the things, biometrics, uh, robotics, augmentation, that are on the horizon. I mean, when we build out space, we're not building it out for a year or two. We're building it out for years. And A, that's part of the problem. We're, we're In this country, we have the longest lease times, and so we tend to be way too conservative and err on the side of caution, which means we're always behind the curve. But we also... Don't think far enough out and we know that there are things on the horizon that are going to be impacting us specifically technology that if we aren't addressing right now we're behind the curtain we, we tell our clients you're not designing for you today you are designing for the future workplace and the question is are you creating a space that is going to be a legacy that people are going to look back on and be proud of what you did I mean we, we really have to cast a bigger net and we need to think more holistically and I'm really afraid that with COVID, it's either going to throw some companies forward 10 years, but it's already thrown some companies back 30. You know, the ones that are throwing up plastic shields and throwing up panels and, you know, doing all the knee-jerk reaction things um, that just aren't necessarily the right things to do. We have to be cautious, I think. And anytime there's this whole abundance of new things, it just makes me a little nervous, right? Because we're just going to go through this whole period of people buying stuff that doesn't really pan out.
1: I, I rarely adopt new technology on the first generation. I rarely, I mean, even as a technologist, I, I try to stay off the bleeding edge for exactly that reason. Uh, when something is that new and is that untested, sure, it's compelling, it's interesting, it's shiny, uh, but it hasn't really gotten yeah. consumer feedback. It hasn't gone through uh, the kind of, there's a difference between testing Uh, In an engineering team or you know a a design team versus when you put it out in the wild the kind of feedback you get once it's productized and once people use it is invaluable and that's why I tend to avoid first generation technologies as much as possible.
2: Well, I Um, I guess I'm gonna I'm also going to say that I'm I'm willing to bet that all three of you are going to disagree with me because of your personal experience, but you you guys are probably all very tech savvy hey, okay, Sean, I, I want to come to your home theater room that you, you were talking about before. I'm sure it's awesome and incredible. However, the rest of the world really isn't. And I think one of the things that the A-B world often overlooks is this really critical thing Dory from uh, uh, PWC's group often talks about is digital fitness. Okay, A 16-year-old can drive a car. I wouldn't give him a Porsche. And far too often, AVIT guys pull off the hottest, coolest, sexiest thing and sell it to a client when it's like giving a 16-year-old a Porsche, right? They, they can't use it. And, and there's so many times that I go into a space and they've got this amazing technology or this amazing smart board or this great system and nobody knows how to use it. And I think sometimes low tech is better. Sometimes test, try, test it and true is better. I mean, think about video conferencing and telepresence and basically they got usurped by Skype. Which was on everybody's thing and everybody could use it you know sometimes it isn't the most sophisticated thing it's the easiest um you know idiot proof thing that people adapt most successfully and so i think we really need to think about what are those solutions that are going to be the ones that people are going to easily adopt and gravitate to
1: i don't disagree with you Sorry, go ahead, Sean.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I wouldn't either, Nick. I think um, the thing that I wonder about is makes sense right we 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 want to be able to ensure that a technology is is uh, tried and true and use, has usability and all those sorts of things and, and and we have strong training behind it. Do you think though that we've been forced now into a strong a moment of forced and rapid? technology evolution. Like I, I use higher ed as the, as the classic example here, you know, where they had to go from maybe 10% content on uh, virtual to now a hundred percent in the space of a very short period of time. So they've had to invest uh, in technologies solutions that you know, I think we can all agree in many cases just didn't fit the bill as, as a parent myself, I've seen some of that stuff tried and not work. Um, so what's the path forward though for companies? Clearly they are having to make some of these investments now just to keep the lights on, keep business going, keep productivity to at least some standard uh, to some level. So it seems inevitable that we're going to have this first round investment that's going to have to be replaced by say second and third rounds of improvement and iteration just to get us through. Do you kind of see that happening as well? Trial
1: by fire.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're living that
1: right now. What I wish more people were investing in right now is, if, if, if you've come to the decision that you need to make investments, you need to do overhauls in your space right now. I wish more people were investing in the infrastructure and not in the endpoints. I think that when it comes right down to it, what I've seen in a lot of spaces is, even if I want to give you, you know, the Porsche, the the high tech, you know, best version of the system that's possible, your infrastructure is not ready for it. And in a lot of cases, that's what Kay touched on earlier about long leases and sort of building and hedging your bets when you start to build out instead of building what you know is going to work for the next 10 to 15 or even longer. Um, And that's that really particularly in uh, the space where AV and unified collaboration is today, where it's as digital as it can be. You know, everything is transmitted over the network if you let it. And in a lot of these situations, the infrastructure is simply not ready for it. Those upgrades are more invasive They take longer to complete and they are more expensive. There's no question about that, but they pay off in dividends down the road if you do it right the first time. Um, And I think, you know, the message to integrators and to designers is um, you already know how to do this stuff. You already know how to do the system, right? I think Kay really nailed something which is selling the Lamborghini, right? Selling the the high-end version of it, the flashiest and the coolest you can make it, which appeals to people. The other thing I see a lot of in this industry is selling the Pinto Uh, coming to the customer and saying, well, I got to sell you something. So here's the, the, the worst bottom end solution I can possibly give you. It's a wall garden. It's proprietary. If you want to trade out this XLR barrel, you're going to have to buy it from the same company in three years. And that doesn't work either. I think everybody in the industry knows how to do it right and to do it effectively. And they know when and where they should be challenging uh whoever it is they need to challenge to get the thing done correctly but to different degrees we've all been conditioned not to do that whether it's because we're trying to make a bigger sale or because we're just trying to make a sale and hit under budget we've all been told you can't make those challenges now i think is the time to make those challenges
0: nick uh that may be the first time on any podcast i've done that the lovely pinto has been mentioned so (laughs) congratulations on that Uh, Thank you guys so much. Uh, This has been fantastic. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Kay, uh, where do people find you if they are so inclined?
2: Uh, HOK.com is is the website, but you know, k.sargent at HOK.com and you just spell out K-A-Y dot S-A-R-G-E-N-T. And we post everything on uh, LinkedIn, on our website. um, So lots of ways to hunt me down.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And you should, you should, I, I'm not connected with, with Nick on, on LinkedIn, but you should definitely follow uh, Kay because she posts some really great stuff. So, uh, Mr. Neen, uh, uh Nee Neighbor, uh, how do people get a hold of you or WeWork?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me personally. And wework.com is a great way to check out our offerings and book a tour or whatever we need, you know, whatever you're interested in, head there first.
0: All right, very good. And Mr. Wargo, how do we connect with you or at Vixa?
3: Contact me, uh, email at swargo, S-W-A-R-G-O, at abitza.org. Come to our website, avitza.org, for information about uh, research that we have. Look for us on LinkedIn and, and Twitter as well, sharing out some insights. Uh, certainly tweet us at hashtag hubitzaintel. If you'd like to start a conversation,
0: we'd love to do that. All right, here's the ending first. All right. Thank you all so much. For us, for AV Nation, go by our website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Find this program and a host of others, including our two weekly programs. Uh, One's called AV Week. We look at the commercial news of the week. And the other side is Ruzzy Week, where Matt Scott takes a look at the residential AV news and information. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv.